From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends. Welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. You give us an hour and we give you a better understanding of the world that you live in from a Christian worldview. A couple of quick notes. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Also, we hope that you will plan to join us at the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit happening this September 14th through the 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. You'll hear from guests like Sam Brownback, Dr. Ben Carson, Oz Guinness, Mike Huckabee, Dr. Albert Moeller, Ali Beth Stuckey. Many, many more will be held at First Baptist Atlanta. Hope to see you there. Go to PrayVoteStand.org slash summit. For details and to register, that's prayvotestand.org slash summit. Sure to be a great event. Today on the program, is gender dysphoria, the original form of transgenderism, a disability now? Does that mean, if it is, that it comes with legal protections associated with having a disability? At least one court says yes. We'll tell you about that story today. Also, polling has been bad for President Biden for months, and everyone has expected Republicans to have massive victories this November. However, now that Roe versus Wade has been repealed, Democrats are hopeful the abortion issue will save them politically. Is that true? We'll have that conversation as well today. Also, the student loan bailout has been announced. Dr. Dave Bratt from Liberty University will join us to talk about the economics of student loan forgiveness, and he'll give us a response to several of the arguments we've heard from the White House over the last 24 hours. What can we believe and what should we be skeptical of? We'll talk to him about that today. But our headline today, as I just mentioned, President Biden's announcement yesterday that he plans for taxpayers to pick up the tab for student loan debt has Republicans on the Hill calling his naked bid for buying votes a, quote, slap in the face. The most potent criticism of the bailout is that it is explicitly illegal. Many also wonder why blue-collar workers are footing the bill to subsidize graduate degrees. With just over two months until the midterm elections, what can we expect looking forward, and how critical is it for conservatives to get out and vote this fall. Joining me now to discuss this is U.S. Representative Kevin Hearn, who's a member of the House Committee on Ways and Means and serves as chair of the Republican Study Committee's Budget and Spending Task Force. He represents Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. Congressman Hearn, good to see you today. Great to be with you, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Now, we've had about 24 hours to learn and react. What's your reaction to the president's student loan bailout plan? Well, this president and the, and the Socialist Democrats in Congress have been working ever since Joe Biden got in office last year to buy votes, knowing that uh, what they were doing would be their last chance for many years to come. You know, when you see what he's done so far, and the latest being today with the uh, forgiving or, or doing something completely illegal, pushing a socialist agenda of forgiving student loans, which, by the way, is the second largest debt in America behind mortgages, you know, you think about the farmers and ranchers in Oklahoma, uh, and they're out there working hard every day, the people working in the manufacturers, uh, facilities around the country, and now they're being told that upwards of $2,000 per person to fund this bailout of student loans. And like everything the Democrats have done, they've done nothing to fix the underlying problem of extraordinarily high and rising uh, college tuition across America. And, and this is just one thing more that this president has done. 
which, by the way, uh, Speaker Pelosi said last year in July of 21 that he didn't have the authority to do so. So we're going to see if she uh, stands behind those words as we move forward. Yeah, there, there's a couple things I want to get to with you. Uh, first, you you mentioned the legal basis of this or the lack of a legal basis. What authority is the White House claiming they have to do this at all? Well, they have the authority to delay or defer, but not to forgive. And uh, they're using the, the, the Health Emergency Act uh, that, that was done under COVID, by the way, and the same one that they've uh, completely set aside to get rid of Title 42 at the border. And it's just they're picking and choosing where they want this public health emergency to exist. It only exists on the floor of the House of Representatives, not on the other end of the Capitol in the Senate, where they've not been masked or not have to do anything as far as social distancing since the COVID uh, pandemic happened back in 2020. Speaker Pelosi is using it to allow Democrats to stay at home and proxy vote which is that will end uh, when Dem Democrats lose control of the House in December and we take over in January. You will have to be in person, do your job, work for the American people. And what they're using this pandemic for today is to pick and choose the emergencies they want to call and use. And what he's claiming is, is that Congress gave the Department of Education the authority to forgive, give him the authority to forgive loans, which is just absolutely absurd. Now, if there is no legal basis for this, do you expect any kind of legal challenge to this decision by the White House, this effort? I do. Uh, I think it's going to be brought forth by, you know, taxpayer organizations out there, because in regards to what the president says, the American taxpayers are going to have to pay for it. Uh, he's spent over $4 trillion now uh, trying to buy votes to, to save as many Democrat seats as he can this fall, knowing that once we take back the House in January, his agenda is over. Uh, for him as president for the next two years, regardless of what happens in the Senate. You won't see these kind of bills that destroy American ideology, take money out of the American people's pockets and bring it to Washington, D.C., as you've seen this president do since he's been in office, you know, some 19 months. It's insane what's going on. Uh, it's all about the socialist agenda, agenda of the Democrats trying to destroy our energy uh, companies like mine here in Oklahoma and across America and go beg for oil from the Saudis and from Iranians and Venezuela. And this president has, uh, he has fallen so far to the extreme left that it's just, it's crazy for the American people. It's a sad day in America to see what's happened today. We're speaking with Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn today. And Congressman, one thing that I think Americans do agree about is the fact that higher education is really expensive, probably inappropriately expensive. Do you think this conversation provides opportunities uh, for perhaps Republicans or even Democrats to uh, propose different solutions to the problem of inflated costs in higher ed? Well, we have to look and see. We've learned a lot under the uh, pandemic about you know, remote learning and, and that you don't necessarily need a four-year college degree. Our career techs, like the ones here in Oklahoma, have been great at preparing people to go out and go to work as you know, carpenters as plumbers and make a lot of money the day they come out of school with little to no debt and certainly have a high paying job that they can pay back their debt, just as I did. And many, many millions of Americans have done over the years. Well, I never went to college when I went there. I got student loans. I paid them back. I never expected anybody else to pay my student loans back and nor did anybody else. And when you hear people like Tim Ryan, who's running for Senate in Ohio, say that this is absurd, we shouldn't be doing this, a Democrat. When you hear Chris Pappas in New Hampshire, a Democrat, saying that this should be paid for, not by the American people, because it's going to add to the debt. You have Democrat after Democrat after Democrat 
that are back home listening to their constituents saying, this is not the right thing to do. We've got to fix the underlying problem, let people pay their debts, as we always have, be responsible. Americans, go out and get a job and pay back your debts. Uh, and the, to think that Washington, D.C. is going to be the, the savior for everything that goes on in America is exactly what our founders warned us against. And, Congressman, do you have any concern that if this sticks, uh, that this kind of becomes a new expectation and that uh, people would start looking to the federal government to take care of other consumer debts? Well, sure. And, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that student debts are immune from bankruptcy. You know, that could be one thing you could do is say that, you know, I, I guarantee you that you get a lot of people's attention. Uh, if you could say that a person can file uh, for bankruptcy and those debts could be forgiven in that manner, uh, you'd have a lot of financial institutions that are giving out student loans uh, say, wait a minute, you've got to be able to pay this back. You'd have universities stop raising their tuitions to meet this forgiveness. We saw this in the EV industry uh, just recently. Uh, with the, the Biden administration giving up the $7,500 uh, credit to, to go buy an EV. And what happened is the electric vehicle manufacturers just raised their price to meet that, to meet that number. So nothing was been, has been gained by that other than we're taking taxpayer dollars and giving to these, these industries to, to build electric vehicles. This is the same thing that's happening. There's no incentive for higher ed to look at their cost structure because they know that students can go out and get loans, and if they don't like going to school and their dropout rates you know, after sophomore year or junior year or even after the freshman year, that there's no harm, no foul. The, the federal government will just bail them out, and this has got to stop. You know, we're at $31 trillion in debt. The American taxpayers are paying for this by money, money being borrowed from China, uh, and, and you know, we can't keep having our dependency on somebody like China who wants to destroy us. Well, Congressman, for what it's worth, from my view in the cheap seats, I do hope that this uh, creates a new and uh, invigorated conversation about reforms that can come to higher education. But I do, I do think it's a broken system. I think a lot of Americans think so. I think there's an appetite for change. And I hope uh, if anything good can come out of this conversation, it's that we might be able to get some real reforms. But uh, before I lose you, I want you, I want your insights on how you think this conversation is going to affect the landscape in November. Will it succeed in buying votes for the White House? Well, I don't think so. I think American people, when I talk to folks, regardless of party, they're, they're concerned about you know nearing double-digit inflation. They're concerned about what's happening at the southern border. When they see almost 3 million people across the border since this president's come into office, more people have died crossing the border than any other president. And what does he do? He just refuses to go there. He put Kamala Harris in charge. She refuses to go there. Secretary Marcus says he's doing a great job. Uh, this administration is, is in an echo chamber telling themselves that they're doing a fantastic job and the American people are saying something else. Everybody loves to get free money, except you have to pay for it. And the reality is, is that we have to be responsible Americans, as we always have been. And you're going to see that under the Republican control. We're going to put more money back in your pocket because I believe, regardless of what party you're in, you're going to make better decisions with your money than Washington, D.C. is going to make. And so, you know, as we put money and, and policies and the opportunity for you to make decisions more so in your pocket back home in your states and your communities and less dependency on Washington, D.C., you're going to have a freer and better life. And Congressman, perhaps the final question here, uh, we are all kind of waiting here in Washington, D.C. to uh, to find out if and when the affidavit connected to the search of Tr President Trump's house is going to be released. Do you have any insight as to uh, when we might see that? And if we do, what we're going to see? 
Well, clearly this is an unprecedented move to invade, uh, to raid a former president's home. Uh, we know what's happened under Hillary Clinton and President Obama and others, regardless of what the right wing, uh, excuse me, the left wing people want to say about the right wing folks out here is that somehow we don't know what we're talking about. All we have to go back and do is look at the news uh, of the day back under President Obama, President uh when President Trump was pointing this out about Hillary Clinton during the race that they had, that the, the real problem is here, there's a double standard. Uh, we couldn't get the, Feb, uh, the FBI to do anything. And now here we have a president uh, that's a former president who's going to be the next president uh, should he decide to run. And they're out invading his home, trying to do everything they can to prevent him from running again. And, uh, you know, we're going to see the judge tomorrow look at a redacted uh, document, uh, the affidavit, and make a determination where they've uh, redacted so much, marked out so much of it that it makes no sense. And uh, hopefully we can get to the bottom of this. You know, my orchestra spoke for about three minutes on this issue last week after, you know, a couple of weeks since it happened. Uh, I think you're seeing outrage across America. You're having even Democrats saying this is unprecedented uh, when they get away from, you know, the microphone. So uh, I, I hope tomorrow that we see what's behind this whole issue and the American people can make their determination at that point in time. But again, it's insane. I, I can tell you this. When we take back the House in January, because the Democrats are not going to do it before then, we're going to bring the DOJ in. We're going to bring the people that are part of this in to ask the questions that the Democrats are not asking now. Congressman I think Hearn? the American people deserve to know, and we're going to find out what the answers are. Congressman Kevin Hearn, thanks for stopping by today. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Joseph. Coming up, a federal court recently claimed it's illegal to house an inmate based on their biologi biological sex. We'll tell you why when we come back. Stay with us. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backhall sitting in for Tony today. A federal court has ruled that prison policy requiring inmates to be automatically housed based on their biological sex violates federal law. Now, this decision hinges on the claim that gender dysphoria qualifies as a disability protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. The court's decision coincides with the Department of Justice's politicization of gender identity issues such as the DOJ pushing the Biden administration's policy that so-called gender-affirming care is medically necessary. There's a lot to consider here. And joining me to discuss it is Rachel Morrison. She's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Rachel, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me. Well, first, just give me your immediate reaction when you heard about this case in which the court said you can't require biological men to be housed with men because gender dysphoria is a disability. Well, it's pretty crazy because if you look at the Americans with Disability Act, it explicitly excludes from the definition of disability gender identity disorders that are not the result of a physical impairment. And it's pretty obvious to anyone who's not trying to push radical gender ideology that gender dysphoria classifies as a gender identity disorder. Well, did the court come up with this theory on this own, or was there a transgender prisoner making this argument for the court? There was a prisoner who was identifying as transgender who was making this argument. And this is not an argument that just this prisoner made, but also one that the Biden administration has been trying to push as well. Now, let's unpack that a bit, because it seems that the transgender political lobby for a long time has been resistant to this idea that transgenderism or gender dysphoria is any kind of a disability. Uh, and that's, a fact, in fact, a, an offensive allegation. But now they're in court saying that it is. How do you reconcile that? Well, I think the only way you can reconcile that is that it's politically expedient, and this seems to be a good method for the administration and others to try to force the uh, idea that gender dysphoria or the broader gender uh, identity um, is a protected class, and then that means that others have to succumb to those individuals' desires when it comes to pronouns, access to private spaces, such as women's locker rooms and bathrooms and sports teams, and that doctors and medical providers have to provide gender transition care for these individuals. 
So you're saying that there is a greater burden of accommodation if they can prove or if they can convince the court to believe that this is, in fact, a disability? That, that's the goal with the law. The Americans with Disability Act prohibits discrimination, and it also prohibits uh, exclusion from benefits or activities. And so if, say, something like uh, testosterone is provided for a male who has low testosterone or for some other reason, uh, it would be considered discrimination based on uh, gender dysphoria to not provide it for uh, transition purposes for that diagnosis. And so this could have massive implications across the board. Do you think, though, that hurts them in the court of public opinion that for years now they've been trying to convince that this is normal and natural and healthy and everyone should should have no concerns at all? Well, I think a lot of people are going to be able to see through this, that it's uh, an act of political expediency that the courts are reaching uh, when trying to say that gender dysphoria is not a gender identity disorder, because it pretty, pretty clearly is. Um, both involve an incongruence between a person's stated gender identity and their biological sex, and you can't get around that fact. Right. And one of the implications that I that I foresee if this if this holding uh, holds upon on appeal, the Biden administration uh, very quickly early in President Biden's term reversed the Trump administration's ban on transgender people in the military. And if it is, in fact, classified for legal purposes as a disability, does that then affect the way that the military treats this condition? Well, I think the Biden administration will say it's a disability for purposes of disability discrimination laws, which provide certain uh, benefits or would require access to certain things. But it wouldn't be a disability for purposes of being fit to serve in the armed forces. So, again, we have this incongruence between yeah. the claims being made and how they would be um, how it would go in uh, practice. Are there other examples of things that are legally classified as disabilities that are not considered disabilities for purposes of uh, military readiness, military recruitment? I'm sure there are lots of things. I'm not an expert on military yeah. readiness standards, <laughs> so you'll have to ask someone with that expertise. No, that's fair, but it does seem like a – it seems like a, a tricky um, – uh, nuance they're trying to create here um, legally, if not uh, ling linguistically. In addition to this, what are the consequences that we're seeing when uh, the, the the policy, the prisons have taken the position that we are going to re we are going to allow prisoners to essentially select their own housing arrangements based on their gender identity? Yeah, it can have devastating consequences, uh, especially for the women that are being housed with uh, biological males who identify uh, as female or transgender. Uh, and we've seen a number of instances where female inmates have become impregnated uh, by the transgender inmate who has been housed with the females. Um, this also would extend to prison guards or security personnel who would have to do searches um, and this was one of the claims brought in the lawsuit was the uh, prisoner was upset that a male was conducting those searches and wanted a female to conduct the search, even though he still retained his male genitalia. There's obviously a lot more to come in this case. Can you give us the status of this particular litigation? Uh, do you expect an appeal? Has an appeal already been filed? 
I have not seen an appeal filed. The next step would be whether to appeal it to the entire Ninth Circuit. And if that fails, then it can be appealed to the Supreme Court. Well, and you never know what's going to happen in the Ninth Circuit, but I have a feeling that there's a lot more to come on this case. Thank you so much for swinging by today and giving us the update. Thank you. Stay with us. Coming up next, everything is political because the midterm elections are coming. The trends have not been good for Democrats in the early part of 2022, but post Roe versus Wade, Democrats are hopeful that abortion is going to be the issue that will save them politically. Will it motivate their base enough to counteract the frustration that the right has on economic issues and save them? Well, we'll discuss all of that when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. The website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can catch every episode in case you miss it. As recently as this spring, conventional wisdom in Washington was to expect a red wave in the midterm elections. And given the issues facing our country, inflation, energy prices, crime in the streets, and chaos at the border, conditions were ripe for Republican victories. And President Biden's approval ratings are historically bad. But since the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade in June, Democrats have worked overtime to turn the fall elections into a referendum on a single issue, abortion. Will they be successful? Should Christians care about how the overturn of Roe impacts this fall's elections? 
Joining me now to discuss it is Connor Semmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity at FRC. He joins me in studio. Connor, good to see you today. Yeah, glad to be here with you. Well, tell us, uh, is the effort to turn this election into a referendum on abortion one that will work? Can you make it about the single issue of abortion? And if they do, does that help Democrats? Honestly, my advice to Democrats would be make this election all about abortion, because I just don't think it's going to be the salient issue that they want it to be. <clears throat> we heard for a while the summer of rage to get everybody out there and hope to propel uh, election victories like they had back in the summer of 2020. And that just never materialized. So now they're sort of from D.C. trying to propel people to really care about abortion, have all their congressional incumbents talk about the abortion issue and their governor's candidates talk about abortion issue because they're reading into certain uh, special elections or some random statewide elections that they think show, hey, let's keep talking about abortion. But so far, we just don't see that that's really going to materialize much. It might on the margins here or there in a close race. But when you look at a lot of the polling, what people really care about, it really isn't uh, the fact that uh, states can actually finally protect life for the first time. Uh, people really care about inflation, things like his student loan actions yesterday. Those are the things that people really care about. We know that midterm elections are all about turnout and what issues motivate your base. Right. And, and we have seen anecdotally. Uh, a couple of examples, because there have been votes, there have been primary elections, there have been some special elections, there was even a referendum, there was a vote on a constitutional amendment about abortion in Kansas, right? So we have some data, which indicates that, at least marginally, there, there has been some increase in the turnout for Democrats. Now, there's also increase in turnout, actually a greater increase in turnout in voter enthusiasm, it appears, for the Republicans, because they're mad about a whole bunch of things, the Democrats are mad about abortion. But... As to how this issue is framed and described, I think we know what Democrats think about abortion, right? On demand, taxpayers pay for it, no co-pays, no nothing, nine months of pregnancy, maybe even a couple days later, you know, whatever that, that's their position. Everybody knows that. Do we know what the Republican position on abortion is? See, and that's where the problem lies, and it's not so much that the Democrats have created this great ground game. I think part of what you're seeing some of this high turnout is you look to some of the congressional leaders and pro, uh, Republican leaders around the country, and there really isn't a unified message. And that's not the behest of groups like ours and others that have been trying to get, you know, these pro-life elected leaders to really lean into the issue rather than away. Um, but unfortunately, there's just been mostly radio silence. And, and the, the danger there is you let the Democrats frame the debate. Oh, all Republicans want to do is throw women in jail and criminalize doctors and the whole nine, right? And that's just the furthest thing from the truth. Well, and that is the danger, right? When when there is not a uniform, at least say, here here's our agenda. We want to, um, you know, ban all abortion before 15 weeks, right? Which polling says Americans would support. You can even get back to six weeks, a heartbeat. And, and there's evidence to think a, a, a majority of Americans uh, would support that. But when you're silent on the issue, what the what the abortion lobby comes in and says, oh, all they want to do is throw women in prison if they have an ectopic pregnancy. Right. And that's kind of the, the perspective that they're bringing to that. So from a purely political perspective, it's a little bit harmful for pro-life people on the ballot if there's not a unified message, isn't it? Yeah, and you talked about turnout, right? You know, they are seeing, hey, we can get a certain demographic, younger, maybe college-educated yeah. women that feel like a right has been taken away. We can turn them out if we talk about abortion. And hopefully that's that's their goal, not hopefully, but that's their goal. The Republican side, you would think the same thing. These pro-life Americans that have been fighting for 50 years to finally pass laws to protect life, they finally have their opportunity to elect leaders that can actually protect life in the womb. They, too, want to turn out and 
vote for candidates that they know will protect life, but there has to be leadership to show, hey, elect me because I, I will stand for the unborn and even care for mothers and uh, you know, young children after they're born, too. There are undoubtedly some really confident, loud, courageous pro-life voices, right? But as a when we talk about the political parties, I would say that the Democrats are much more enthusiastic about their position on, on, on abortion than the Republican Party is generally. That being said, uh, Senator Marshall has introduced a bill uh, that I want to get your comment on to say that the federal government cannot pay for the abortions of illegal immigrants. Why is that not already prohibited by the Hyde Amendment? Yeah, so um, speaking of the Hyde Amendment, that really only covers certain funds. And that's the beauty and the downside of the Hyde Amendment. It's an annual thing that has to be renewed, and it only applies to our health and human services programs like Medicaid and the like. Unfortunately, ICE runs under the Department of Homeland Security. They have their own funding, and there is no Hyde Amendment there. Republicans did try back in 2017 and 18 under the Trump administration to get a policy just like the Hyde Amendment to apply to Homeland Security funding so that detainees could not be used for abortions. But unfortunately, when that bill got to the Senate, that language got stripped out. But uh, today, now we have Senator Marshall introducing a bill that would codify into law. So no annual riders, no annual fights, but uh, would say our taxpayer funds cannot go to Department of Health and Human Services or Homeland Security to pay for abortions, to force uh, federal employees to perform abortions, or pay for travel out of state for abortions. So we're really glad to see this bill come to come to light. Connor Simmelsberger, thanks for being with us. Glad to be with you. And friends, coming up next, there's been a lot of claims the past 24 hours about the student loan bailout. Is it a debt cancellation or a bailout? Will it hurt inflation or will it even help inflation like the White House suggested earlier today? Uh, coming up next, Representative Bratt, Dr. Bratt, the dean of the Liberty University School of Business, will give us some economic lessons in all of this. It will be very educational and probably entertaining as well because we're going to play some fun clips. Stay with us right here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. 
That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Website is TonyPerkins.com. Reminder, if you are a high school or university student, we invite you to join us at a free worldview session as part of the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit on Friday, September 16th from 4 to 7 p.m. in Atlanta, Georgia. It's going to be a great summit in general. This worldview session for college and high school students is going to be particularly fun. I look forward to seeing many of you there. It will include a 90-minute Ask Anything question where a panel of worldview experts will be there to uh, brainstorm and discuss whatever is on your mind. Uh, join us there. Register for the summit as well as the worldview portion of the summit at prayvotestand.org slash summit. Look forward to seeing you there. The White House's rationale for bailing out up to $20,000 in student loan debt relies on a series of claims that many have many economists crying foul. President Biden made a number of claims yesterday in the White House has continued to respond to skepticism about the expense, appropriateness, implications, and even the legality of this plan over the past 24 hours. Joining me now to help separate the truth from the spin is Dr. Dave Bratt. He's a former member of Congress from Virginia and currently the Dean of Liberty University's School of Law. Dr. Bratt, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be on. Great topic. Thanks. Well, it is a good topic, and, and we are hoping that you can uh, make us non-economists a little bit smarter today. And there's so many components of this, um, one of which is just the cost. Like, how much is yep. this going to cost? Who's it going to be paid for by? Uh, President Biden, uh, he said that this move is paid for by what his administration has already done. Let's play clip seven, then I want you to respond. I hear it all the time. How do we pay for it? We pay for it by what we've done. Last year, we cut the deficit by more than $350 billion. This year, we're on track to cut it by more than $1.7 trillion by the end of this fiscal year, the single largest deficit reduction in a single year in the history of America. And the Inflation Reduction Act is going to cut it by another $300 billion over the next decade. Now, Dr. Bratt, that sounds impressive. We have a $1.7 trillion reduction in the federal deficit. Sounds like it's big yeah. news. Now, should we be as excited about that as he is? What does that mean about what the deficit actually was? 
Yeah, uh, don't get too excited. It's kind of like after COVID and you shut down the entire economy for a while and then fill that gap with federal spending and uh, Federal Reserve monetary stimulus. And then you were at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, uh, but then a few rocks fall down and you get to stand on those little teeny rocks that he's talking about. You're still at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so, uh, no, none of it's true. You had gigantic in the trillions government spending. And so, you know, only in D.C. can you get away with that kind of uh, logic where you've trimmed the deficit. Yeah, because you were down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. You had more deficit spending than the world has ever seen combined. And so next year, you're going to do a little less than awful. Uh, That's not a good thing, right? right? And on, on the cost of the bill and all this kind of stuff, it, it, you know, it's just, you know, nicks by a thousand wounds at a time. So the government took over the health care sector, which is 20 percent of the economy with Obamacare. The government's now taken over the energy sector and we, we had energy independence. And now we're upside down and gas prices are through the roof. And now natural gas is coming up this winter. Uh, and the world is seeing a disaster. My friends in Africa, right, got, uh, you know, fertilizer problems, energy problems, and they're looking at a famine. 600 million Christians in sub-Saharan Africa that, uh, you know, love us, and they want to see us lead and help them. And so, yeah, and we haven't even gotten to the education piece. My favorite meme today was I saw the truckers, right, who don't go on to Harvard uh, MBAs and Shakespearean uh, pronoun studies. Uh, the truckers are paying for the Harvard uh, linguistic experts for the first few years they're out of school when you're making less than 250000 as a couple. we got to repay those loans. Uh, and the truckers are – the bottom half of the income distribution is paying for the upper half. I mean, it, it's just logic stood yeah. on its head. But, you know, Santa Claus is popular. Free stuff's popular, and the American people yeah. got to get over this very bad habit. Dr. Brat, I, I think one of my favorite social media responses came from Larry Tribe, who teaches yeah. law school yeah. at Harvard, and right. he was expressing his how happy he was for his students yeah. that they were finally going to see some relief, yeah. as if the, uh, the the graduates of Harvard Law School are a special interest group that really need the protection yeah. of the federal government. But on this yep. debt and deficit thing, we, we noted that the the deficit has been reduced by one point seven trillion. But that's different than the federal debt, right? Because you have the debt, which is how much we owe over time. And the deficit is simply what we are adding to the debt every year. Am I understanding that correctly? So when we cut the deficit, it doesn't mean there's no deficit. So we're continuing to add to the debt. Right. We're still not living within our means. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, no, that's right. Just everybody, everybody in your audience ought to be familiar already with the USA debt clock, right? Go out to that. Every, every financial statistic in the world is right there having to do with debt and deficits. And the debt, you know, is 30 trillion, but the unfunded liabilities with Medicare and Social Security, you'll see all that out there on the US world debt clock. And uh, that's over a hundred trillion dollars, right? And the most important, you know, is we're talking about education. Well, I wish education meant the word education, right? If education actually meant education, then U.S. productivity wouldn't be at, it's been going down for 40 years in a row. Go to Robert uh, Nelson at uh, Northwestern University. He's the world expert on productivity and in particular, total factor productivity. Uh, I did my PhD in economic growth. That's the only thing that causes long run economic growth. So you can add capital and you can add human capital and education. 
But if you don't have total factor productivity growth, nothing happens in your economy. That thing has been going down for 40 years straight. And last week, the productivity stats came out for the U.S. all-time lows, right? So if education was truly educating our kids and our young scholars into productive uh, skills like technology, computer science, IT, information systems, engineering, uh, data analytics, data analysis, those are the skills. The Chinese and the Indians haven't missed this memo. Right. Uh, and the United States missed the memo. And uh, we're really harming our kids and the and the and the next generation. And it's intentional. I I hate to report, right? A lot of folks on the left think the U.S. Uh, and the U.S. economy and free markets are the bad guys. Uh, we fed the world. We set up the entire post World War II liberal Bretton Woods order that uh, gave uh, China and India uh, the the incomes that have risen from $1,000 per head to 15000 We fed the world. We've done amazing stuff. And instead of getting a thank you, uh, we're digging our own ditch. Dr. Bratt, I, I want to get now into the cost of what this is and whether we can even know that. White House Policy Advisor Susan Rice was asked about that cost. Yeah. Uh, here's this exchange. Yeah. Let's play clip one. Will this cost? How much will Americans have to pay on this price tag overall? Well, that, that, that remains to be determined, and it will be a function of what percentage of eligible borrowers actually take up this opportunity. If, if 43 million borrowers uh, take it up, uh, that'll be different than if 50% of those 43 million take it up. If it is 43 million, if I could just follow on, you know, if, if the full number of eligible uh, borrowers do take advantage of the program, what would the cost be? I, I, I can't give you that off the top of my head. Uh, is there a reason she can't do that math? Is If I'm wrong about that, wouldn't that be $43 million by 10000 Yeah, they don't want to give you the big number, right? That's the, it, It's just the D.C. Uh, swamp talk over and over and over uh, that's got us into this uh, current predicament, right? So uh, all of this, by the way, with inflation – at 9% down to maybe 8.7%. And people are talking about, you know, it's, it's down. It's not down. It's at all-time 40-year highs. So inflation is, you know, 8.5% trimming. That's It's 8.5% off your income, right? That, that's the price of the all the goods you buy. And it hits the poor disproportionately, right? The poor have to spend every nickel they got on gasoline and food at the supermarket. And so it really hits the poor hard. And then to do this, right, this is stimulative, right? It's more federal government spending. Uh, at the same time, you have inflation. And so the, the, the whole thing is it's just a mental, intellectual disaster. Well, we're going to get a bit more into that because the White House has, in fact, claimed that there could be some deflationary pressure resulted from this. Let's play clip two. You know, the way we see it is a number of independent experts from Moody's analysts uh, to the Economic Policy Institute agree that restarting student loan payments around the same time we provide targeted relief will not have any meaningful effect on inflation. That's because collecting more payments by ending the moratorium will mean borrowers will pull back on spending in other areas. It will have a deflationary effect. So, Dr. Brat, I think she's saying that re repaying student loans again, which they haven't been doing for years, will have a deflationary effect. 
which will counterbalance the inflationary effect of the loan uh, forgiveness slash bailout project. Is that their admission that, in fact, uh, forgiving all these loans will, in fact, have an inflationary effect? Well, they're making the claim. I mean, there was so much uh, gobbledygook in there. They embarrassed George Orwell, right? Look up Animal Farm and 1984 and all that kind of thing. Yeah, no, the, 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 the truth claims coming from that podium are, uh, are just stunning, right? And, and I, I hate to say this, but unfortunately, uh, most mainstream economists who come out of Ivy League schools, right, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Chicago, you know, Chicago is kind of an exception. But they're all funded by federal grants, right? So the silence coming from uh, economists on this is stunning as well. And history is not going to look kindly on the economic profession. It's going to be shown, uh, right? I, I just, I'll just give you one stunning example. Today, Goldman Sachs, for example, has the GDP forecast at uh, 2% for this year. We're shrinking at 1% to 1.5% for the first six months. And so, how do you get positive plus two from the smartest guys in the world, right? Fannie, Fannie Mae today has the uh, growth rate this year more like at zero and next year at, at, at negative. Uh, what do they know that Goldman Sachs doesn't know? They know about the housing market. And, of course, Goldman knows that. But what I'm getting at is, well, you know, some of you uh, Christians are just the greatest people on earth, but they, the only problem is sometimes they're so innocent, they don't get how evil the world is. And so they're missing that elections happen in November. And anyone dependent on government spending is, and, that, and, and I hate to say, it, this includes most all the financial houses in the world, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, Chase, go look at their forecasts. And a year ago, they th forecasts were growing at 4%. Well, Sorry, guys, you're wrong. And the Federal Reserve Bank economists, they got floors and floors of them. I'm friends with tons of them, right? They got floors and floors of PhD, MIT, <laughs> smartest guys in the world. They really are smart. Uh, so they know what they're doing. Uh, but they're reporting that we're going to grow this year still. The evidence is in. We're at negative 1.5%. We're shrinking. And so they're cheerleading. The Federal Reserve's cheerleading. They have no credibility, right? In the 08 financial crisis, they asked Bernanke, uh, how's the real estate market? Right before it crashed, he said, oh, it's great. Strong as ever been. And so, folks out there, you got to do your own homework. You got to do your own numbers. You got to educate your own kids. I'm sorry. But just go back 10 or 20 years and Google, you know, Milton Friedman or uh, John Taylor at Stanford on monetary theory, uh, the Taylor rule. Definitely. And uh, it's, up, it's incumbent on us. Uh, the, the, the Christian community has to know and have intellectual and moral confidence in what we yeah. do on a daily basis. Well, Dr. Brown, so let's do it. Yeah. About the effect on the economy, there's a lot of people who actually think this is going to be really good for the economy. Senator Elizabeth Warren is one of them. She's, of course, been a proponent of this for a very long time. Yeah. She's defending the policy, yeah. saying it's going to create economic growth. Let's play clip four. Because of student loan debt, there are many people who don't move out of their mama's basement, who can't save up money to buy a home, uh, who don't start small businesses, who don't start a family. You relieve the debt burden some for those people, and we have more economic activity. In other words, canceling student loan debt is good for the people whose debt is canceled, but it is also good for our economy and the rest of America. 
Dr. Brad, it does make sense that if you have less debt, you can do other things with your money. Does that mean this is going to be good for the economy? Nope. But I was a, uh, an economist for 20 years in a previous life. <clears throat> and uh, there's famous folks. You can go look them up. Uh, but roughly speaking, SOLs, you know, national test scores, K-12 test scores and math, science, whatever, are like this. Flatline for 30 years. On the other hand, total federal spending, uh, state spending on education is like this, straight up uh, like a hockey stick. So the total spending on education at the federal, state, and local level has done nothing to improve test scores. And as I was saying before, it has productivity is actually going down because as we're doing nothing, the Chinese and the Indians are very smart people and they're doing something. And so uh, she's totally wrong on everything she said, and I'm happy to debate her on that topic anywhere, anytime. Well, we would certainly love to facilitate that. I'm not sure she would accept the invitation, uh, but if she does, I'm here for it, and I'll bring some popcorn. Good. Uh, Dr. Good. Bratt, we are grateful for your time as always. I mean, we're trying to make heads or tails of all of this because, really, it yep. does seem that there's so much smoke. Uh, there's so much politics. Yep. Everything's about the midterms, it seems. Right. On, right. And most of us don't have PhDs in economics, so we're confused, but we're a little less confused today. Grateful for your time Good. today. Thanks for being with us. God bless you, brother. God bless everybody out there. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And friends, we do hope that helps you. Uh, there is a lot of smoke and mirrors, but uh, ultimately we have to keep our eyes on the prize. There's a lot we don't control here, uh, but Jesus knows he is in control. So we don't need to panic even when there is trouble all around. Thanks for being with us today. It really is for you. Hope you've enjoyed this. We've enjoyed being with you. We'll see you tomorrow on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and Washington nothing else. Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.